Uh, we've been talking about healing and the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, we did three kind of lead up to that, and then this is the fourth one in that series. And uh, the goal isn't that we just create an atmosphere where God heals. There's something more than that. We started talking about being a prophetic people. Being prophetic means to hear what God is doing and then prepare to be a part of what God is doing. It's not just someone prophesying, but it's actually, are we actually prepared and being a part of what God's doing? Which begs the question, what is God doing? I'm glad you asked. And uh, what we've seen is that God is equipping a kingdom of priests, which is all of us, to preach the gospel of the kingdom with signs and wonders confirming that. And together, that creates an ingathering of people for the kingdom's sake. Now, in all of that, the, the prophetic that we're hearing God speak about that, there is another element about shaking. We sang that a little bit today. We're going to get to that early next year because we can't ignore that part. There is shaking that will take place. But it doesn't shake us if we're part of the kingdom. We're part of an unshakable kingdom when everything else is shaking. But we won't get to that until a little bit. So we've been talking about equipping the saints, which is all of us, in that light. And so the, the, this most recent series is a biblical basis for healing. And I start out by talking about that there is natural and supernatural healing. Natural is that God's made our bodies that they heal, right? Which is a wonderful thing. You get a cut, and unless it gets infected or something, it actually heals. And we have wonderful people in the medical profession who help maximize that healing. They give us the right uh, understanding and instructions so that we can heal as quickly as possible. But then there's also something of God breaking in supernaturally. I want to tell you, both are God. Okay, don't underestimate the fact that God's made you so that you heal. But at the same time, there are times when God breaks in supernaturally like he did for Christine and her ears. And, we, and that's really what we're talking about. So I want a quick review. The first point was that God has revealed himself as a healer. Exodus 15, 16, he says, I'm the God who heals you. Psalm 103, verse 3 says, who heals all your diseases. And so we talked about that. That's God's revelation. You know, uh, God actually reveals himself in his word, not how we think he should be, not how we want him to be, and often not how other people have told us that he is, but how he says he is. And that's what he says about himself. <coughs> then we talked about healing confirms that Jesus is the Messiah and it confirms the gospel of the kingdom that he's alive. Mike Flood reminded me last week, Matthew 8, verse 3, that Jesus wants to heal. It says, uh, verse 2, And behold, a leopard came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing... You can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be clean. That's not an aberration. That's actually part of who he is, part of the character and nature of God. And so we talked about those things. And then we talked about last week ingredients 
in healing. And I said this, it's not a formula. There's no formula, there's no methodology, but there are some ingredients that we see if we observe. Do we have the uh, air on? Is, is everyone, is it just me or is everyone else warm? It's, it's warm, huh? Nope. I had this illustration last week about electricity and, and turning on the switch. Ah! Somebody had faith. It worked, Tim. Is that one in the back work, too? <laughs> so we talk about ingredients. And while the ingredients are not a formula, we see them. And the first ingredient, ingredient is the presence of God. Right? He's the healer. When he's present, he can heal. And so we just need to be aware of God's presence. We need to be aware of when he's moving and what he's doing. Uh, important part. Then we talked briefly about humility. Humility releases grace. God gives grace to the humble but is opposed to the proud. So there's something about an attitude of humility where we actually look to God and say, God, I need help. See, pride says, not me, I don't need help. I'm tough. All of us guys. Not that guys are prideful, but we just think, you know, we'll get, we'll get better. We're tough. But humility says, I need help. But there's something bigger in that, in that continued humility, recognizing that he is the one who's done it and continuing to give him glory. And so that's why we want to continue with an attitude of thanksgiving, which we'll get to. Third ingredient is faith. We talked briefly about that. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher, or the beginning and the end of faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Faith is actually a relational thing. It's seeing who God is. The more we know him, the more faith we have in him to do what he's saying. He's the beginning and the end. I'm going to add to that what I said last week just briefly. You know, the five times in the gospel that uses a term that is called weak faith. Matthew uh, chapter 14. But he uses it a couple times. He uses it in chapter 8. He said to them, why are you fearful or are you of little faith? Now there is a Greek word, Pestis that means faith, and then this word, oleopestis, which means little faith, and then there's another word, apestis, which means unbelief. And so it's not, he's not talking about you of unbelief, though in Matthew 13, 58, he says that he couldn't do much in uh, Nazareth because of their unbelief. But here he's talking to these guys, and he's talking about their little faith. And that word literally means an undeveloped faith, or a weak or a puny faith. We don't want that, right? But let me tell you what it is. I want to read you in, in Matthew 14. And I want you to see this. From verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side 
while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. And the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. How many of you ever feel like the wind is contrary? <laughs> Sometimes you have a week where it just feels like that. Oh, Christy, just, the wind is contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They needed to be here this morning. <laughs> and immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, for it is I. Do not be afraid. Interesting, it's his presence that drives away fear. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And, and he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That's a great story, isn't it? Don't you wish it stopped there? He just responded when Jesus had come, and he walked on the water. And then it says this, and when he saw the wind, that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. For years, I've read that, and it's always surprised me. Jesus' response to Peter. So you know the story. Peter's there. He sees Jesus. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And he says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water, it says. And then he gets his eyes off of Jesus and he says, seeing the wind. He began to see the wind. He got his eyes off of Jesus and the circumstances became more of his focus than Jesus. And he began to sink. And Jesus reached out his hand and lifted him up and said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Eleven guys never got out of the boat. I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're the ones with little faith. Doesn't it seem like that to you? I'm thinking, wait. I mean, Peter actually walked on the water. I thought that was pretty cool. But what's he saying? When we get our eyes off of Jesus, we begin to sink. Little faith is allowing the circumstances to become more focused than Jesus. Little puny undeveloped faith. It's not unbelief. He's walking on the water. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. As all of a sudden, he looks away from Jesus to the circumstances, the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. How many of you have ever experienced that? Doesn't mean you don't have faith. It means that you actually need to develop your faith by doing what? By fixing your eyes on Jesus. By looking to Jesus. He's the healer. Fourth ingredient. This, this is just a, a reminder. is perseverance. Okay, perseverance means that sometimes we just need to get understanding. What's happening? Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we pray and something doesn't happen. We don't quit. Three times, prayed for her ears. What if after the first time she said, ah, see, God doesn't heal? No, perseverance says, no, God does heal. 
Let's keep going, but maybe there's something else going on. Proverbs. In here somewhere. No, Psalm, sorry, not Proverbs. Psalm 32. They're close. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. What's he saying? There is something where God gives us understanding, where it's not the circumstances that control us. It's our intimate relationship. And so sometimes you're praying for somebody, and it doesn't seem like you're in break. You say, okay, God, what's going on here? Is there something else that we need to know about? You know, sometimes the physical problem isn't really the problem. The physical problem is the fruit, and there's another root. The root might be hurt. The root might be something we've experienced. The root might be rejection. It might be something else. And so we can pull, you can pull the fruit off a tree. We have this lemon tree in our backyard, and it's got zillions of lemons. I mean zillions. If you come over there, Mary's always trying to give people lemons. And uh, you can pull all the lemons off the tree, but if you don't deal with the root, what happens? Next year, you've got a whole lot of lemons again. And too often, what we're dealing with is the fruit and not the root. But Jesus, in his love for us, doesn't, say, doesn't want us to just deal with the fruit. We can pray for you, and maybe something happens, but there's something else that's out of order or out of place that he wants to put into order so that that doesn't come back. You with me? Perseverance. And then lastly, which is where I finished off last week and I didn't get a chance to talk about this, is Thanksgiving. See, there's a hard attitude of Thanksgiving that gives him glory for what he's done. There's something in us that we want to run to the very next need. God provides and I just said, but what about this? God heals us and we say, but what about this? And we just run on to the next thing rather than saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. And there's a story of Jesus healing 10 lepers. And he sends them and, and they go on the way to the priest to be examined. They get healed. And one of them turns around and comes back. And Jesus says, what happened to the others? What is he saying? Thanksgiving is a part of the ingredients to continue to see healing. Don't run on to the next thing. You know what? It reminds us that he is our source. It reminds us that he's the one who did it. It reminds us that it wasn't us. It was him. It reminds us. So if we understand that, we need to actually develop a hard attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude. Everything we have comes from him. We want to be thankful. I want to thank Michael and Margaret for uh, putting on the hanging last night. A lot of work involved. It was great fun. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand. They had some help, uh, but, but I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. It was, was delightful. Those of, how many of you were there last night? A whole bunch of us ate a whole bunch and sat around the, the campfire and... Being thankful, sharing what God has done is part of the process. Let me give you a real quick practical help in sharing testimony.
Now this has, don't apply this retroactively to everyone who shared in the last couple of weeks. But, but it applies whether you're talking about God healing you or you're talking about your salvation. Every testimony has three parts. Very simple. What was the condition? What did Jesus do? And what changed? Right? What was the condition? You know, we need to understand the condition, but we don't need to know all the details. Okay? I mean, you, you live through it. But we need to know the condition, but then we need to know what Jesus did. And then we need to know what changed. Your testimony, what was your life like before meeting Jesus? I had no sense of purpose. I had no, no idea of what I was doing. No I, uh, sense of any direction in my life. I met Jesus and began to partner with him, and now I have, for a number of years, 40 years now, a purpose and direction to partner with him to see his kingdom advanced. I was sick, Jesus touched me, and now I'm well. I couldn't hear. Someone prayed for me, and Jesus touched me, and my ears opened up, and now I can hear, and now everything's loud. Great job. Why am I saying that? Because I just want you to understand, sometimes you have 30 seconds to share with someone what Jesus has done. And so you need to develop an understanding of how to do that. Sometimes you have more time. I mean, in our connect groups, we'll, we'll have time to hear your whole story, and we'd love to, to do that. But most of the time, when we're gathered together, we just want to hear what Jesus did. Okay? Because three or four people can, can share. What did Jesus do? Because remember this, the whole purpose of giving a testimony is to give him glory. If you keep that in mind, give him glory. What did he do? What was the condition? What did he do? And what changed? Very simple? Good. I went long last week. My wife asked me this morning, how long are you going to preach? And I said, why? Because she has the kids. And she's got more than I have. She said, I won't get through everything if you preach too short. Sure she said that, right? <laughs> Two more points. And we'll come to an end. What is the scope of healing in the Bible. We're talking about a biblical basis for healing. What's the scope of healing? Are there some things Jesus doesn't heal? Psalm 103, verse 3 says, who heals all your diseases, forgives all your iniquities, and heals all your diseases. I want to help you out here. If you keep your focus on the greatness of the healer, and not on the hopelessness of the sickness, there's nothing he can't heal. Keep your focus on the greatness of the healer and not on the hopelessness of the sickness. That's weak faith. What happens is we tend to get our focus on how terrible this is, how hopeless it is, 
And you know what? In the natural, it might be hopeless. But the reality is we're not stuck to the natural because we have a great healer. One of my favorite scriptures is the Bible. <laughs> the whole thing. No one kings. Chapter 8. Verse 27 says this. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest of heavens cannot contain you. Heaven and the heaven of heavens. Basically, the highest heavens. Now, you ever thought about how big the heaven is? You ever thought about the universe? It's just amazing. I did that once. Started figuring out distances. The closest star to us is about five light years away. Light travels at about 300,000 kilometers a second. And so a light year is how far light travels in a year of seconds. That's already mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, that, that's incredible. And that's the closest star. Yet we're part of a galaxy that they say have about 100 billion stars, and that's the closest one. I mean, just the dimensions are beyond our comprehension, yet it's one of 100 billion galaxies. And it says that isn't big enough to hold God. Get our focus on the greatness of the healer. The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain him. One touch. And he can change everything. I actually figured out, I could tell you what the, those numbers are, but they're in the trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions, and they mean absolutely nothing because it's just so huge. But the whole idea is that God is so much bigger than we understand him to be. More stars in the sky than grains of sand. Can you imagine? You pick up a handful of sand. You can't count that. Yet there's, I mean, one beach. And all the beach, I mean, just beyond our comprehension. Yet, that God, because of his love for us and his goodness, his grace, wants to touch us. I'm going to digress just a little bit to close here. I want to illustrate grace for you. Grace, you know, most of you know, it's the undeserved, unmerited, under in favor of God, where God, this God, pours his favor upon us. But let me see if I can illustrate it for you. I have three sons uh, who are delightful. Uh, when our first son was born, I wanted a son. We didn't even plan for a girl's name. I wanted a son, and when he was born, I was there with Mary, and I was so excited and hyper that I left the hospital after a while, and I went home, and I put on uh, a record, an album, this is quite a few years ago, Handel's Messiah, and the part that says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and I played it over and over and over again. For hours, I danced around my apartment, just singing and going ecstatic. I had this, I had a son. 
And for each one of them, I felt the same. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you a made-up story. This is make-believe to illustrate a point. Pretend that when they were, when my son was eight or nine, someone broke into our house and killed my son. Be devastated. Vengeance is me doing everything I can to get that guy. That's the way of the world. That's what you see in almost every movie. I'm going to make him pay. I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll, that's vengeance. Justice is letting the legal system follow its course. The police will get them. Mercy is to say, no, I won't press charges. In fact, I might actually even forgive. But grace is to adopt that person into my family as my son and treat him as if he were my son. Provide for him, care for him, send him through college. That's what God's done. He didn't say, I'm going to get him. He didn't say, we'll let justice run its course. He didn't even stop at mercy. He said, no, grace. We were the cause of Jesus' death. He died for my sin. Yeah, God not only forgave me, he adopted me into his family. He says everything. He enters into covenant. Everything, that's, that's grace. He says in Romans 8, he who did not withhold his only son but gave him up for us, will he not also freely give us all things? What is healing compared to the goodness of God in adopting us into his family and giving us Jesus? Nothing. What is it compared to the greatness of God? The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain him. Nothing. So when he says, I want to heal. For us, it's a big deal. For him, it isn't. Sometimes we think we have to convince God. Oh, Johan's such a wonderful guy. Lord, he's such a great guy. I mean, he's just, I look at what he's done and he's given his life for you. And, and we're actually saying, some way, he deserves some healing. Because he's so wonderful. But the problem with that is that most of us know ourselves. And we're not quite as wonderful as people might think we are. And so when, that, when we start getting into that realm, we kind of all end up feeling, I don't deserve a touch from God. I don't deserve God to heal me. And that's when we need to be reminded. It's all based on the atonement. Grace of God, undeserved, unmerited. It's not based on what we've done. It's based on his love for us that he wants to touch us. Why is that important? Because we're in a season where God's wanting to touch the world. We're in a season where God is showing himself to be real, to be alive. We're in a season where he's demonstrating to us so that he can demonstrate through us to a hurting world, 
Don't ever let it stop with this is all about God pouring his goodness on me. As wonderful as that is, it's God pouring his goodness on me so he can pour his goodness through me to touch others. That's what God's doing, and that's what being a prophetic people is all about, that we get to be a part of that. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand. Oh, my goodness, I was almost on time. Before I pray, can I just remind those of you who have children, when we're dismissed, if you would go get your children before you have coffee and tea, uh, because sometimes the, the teachers who are out there have up to here, and, and uh, they, they plan a lesson. They're actually teaching and training children. They're not babysitting, and so once... Some of us start going to get our kids. That's the end of their, their training and teaching time. So if you have children, go get them first. And then, have, I know that that means that you have to watch your own kids. <laughs> and it was so much nicer to have coffee while someone else watches your kids. But would you bow your head? most important thing we could ever share is that every single person can come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Most important thing is that his grace covers all of our sin. Most important thing is that when he calls us and we put him first. We get to partner with him for what he's doing. I just felt in worship this morning that there's some people here. You've met Jesus, but for some reason he's now hasn't been first. I don't know what it is, whether it's circumstances, whether you've lurk, looked at the wind and the waves but you've gotten your eyes off of him somehow and onto other things and the problem is when our eyes aren't on him first nothing else is in order because that's the first thing when our eyes are fixed on him then everything else if you've been looking to business as your purpose you're going to get shocked when business doesn't do well. If you've been looking at relationship as your purpose, if you've been looking at education as your purpose, whatever you've been looking at, you're going to get shocked when that doesn't go how you think it should. I just feel like there's something of God saying to some, he wants to be first again. I've learned over the years that sometimes when the Holy Spirit's speaking to us, we just simply have to respond. That means that we don't put it off till later. We just say, God, I hear you speaking, and I respond. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, Lord, I hear you. Not for me, but you're just saying, yes, that's me.
I hear you, Holy Spirit. I'm putting you first, Jesus first again. Amen. It's actually between you and him. I'm not going to call you to the front or anything, though we are going to make a space for healing for people to pray. If you need a touch from God for healing or for, as the word had been earlier, for freedom from fear, if that hasn't actually taken place yet, if you haven't gotten free, there'd be some people who love to pray with you. I actually felt when, uh, when Christine shared her testimony that maybe God wants to touch some people's ears. And so I'm going to just throw that out, if that's you. Now, I'm in need of that kind of touch because I'm the one saying, what? Uh, but let's just give him the place. We have some coffee and tea out in the, uh, whatever that balcony foyer area is. Uh, and so please take some time, talk with some people. But if you need prayer, there'd be some folks who'd love to pray with you. If you need a touch from God, whether it's healing or something else, uh, as we're dismissed. Lord, we just thank you that you are so much greater than we can understand you to be. The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain you. Lord, it's an uh, incredible privilege when you manifest yourself in our presence. We recognize that wherever your presence is, There's healing, there's restoring, there's forgiveness. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, why don't you go ahead and have some coffee and tea. And uh, if you need a touch, someone to pray with you, come up to this side. Things falling over. <laughs>